And I can see what appears to be a, a flying saucer. Now, again, remember, we're talking about, you know, early times then. And I'm looking at this flying saucer and, and I'm saying to myself, I don't know exactly what that is, but I see two beings below it walking around. They seem to be very busy. They weren't paying any attention to me. I was 50 meters away or so. And all of a sudden, the third being comes down out of the saucer on some kind of ramp. And the two beings, they turned around and looked at me. And I can tell you, to this day, I can remember that stare. Tonight, we explore the fascinating correlation between the communications from the physically dead and the off-planet-based extraterrestrial worlds. Walter Rucker is a CE5 experiencer, and we find out what he knows after hundreds of -of out-of-body experiences and communication with alien worlds. That and more is coming right up on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. My guest tonight is an experiencer on many levels. He has written hundreds of articles on the subjects of consciousness, spirit communication, and extraterrestrial interaction. Tonight, Walter Rucker is in the studio. Thank you so much for joining me, sir, and welcome. Thank you, Cameron, and I certainly appreciate your time this evening. Absolutely. So, a lot of stuff going on. I don't, I don't know if you were just connected to Facebook, but uh, exactly one hour ago, we had an earthquake here. And, um, which, you know, to me, that's too much nature. We, we've had had a lot going on for the last (laughs) six weeks, but, um, I was literally typing up, uh, the show tonight, um, waiting to talk to you. So exactly one hour, um, I'm sitting here and the whole house is going back and forth, um, right in my face. So back and forth east to west and, uh, I can see the house next to me out of the window, so you know their how their 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 uh, siding is is vertical, so the window edge is kind of matched up on the vertical siding of the house, so I could see both houses just going back and forth, and probably lasted just right around thirty seconds, and um, was centered near Chalice, Idaho. I'm in Montana, so um, I'm three hundred miles away, and it was it was quite a ride. How are you, sir? 
Oh, well, I'm fine. No, uh, no earthquakes in Florida. And, uh, it's just been 95 degrees and typical, you know, typical, uh, end of March in Southwest yeah. Florida. But, but uh, no, I didn't hear about that, Cameron. I'm glad to hear that you're all right. Was it just to your locale or was it statewide? Um, you know, it would have been to my West, the West and South of me, about 300 miles. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a decent earthquake. I, it was near Boise, Idaho, so I immediately texted one of my friends who was there, and he immediately texted back, and he said he actually saw his car moving in the driveway, just back and forth and kind of bouncing around. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's obviously we've had some things happening here on planet Earth, really. You know, we don't talk about <laughs> events that have happened to planet Earth. I don't remember you know, even one in my lifetime where I can say, well, there's this global thing happening right now. And, um, you know, it's yeah. just, it's a bit much when you have, uh, when you have, um, that and natural events. I know there was a couple of, of, uh, tornadoes in, in the Midwest and in other places. So. Well, one of the channelers that I follow very closely in, um, is is Bashar, who is uh, channeled by Daryl Anka, and uh, he came out recently with a with a somewhat of a prediction, which said that 2020 is just going to be an absolutely crazy, absolutely nuts year, and uh, it's going to be a wild ride. And you know the the people such as myself who believe that you create your physical reality. Uh, to the to the very details of the physical reality that you're experiencing, will tell you that these kinds of weather messages are really reflections of the collective consciousness. And we were having this conversation about earthquakes and, and, and cyclones and tremors and those kinds of rather harrowing experiences and how much that, just like the COVID virus is doing right now, it's, what a shakeup. It is for people to take another look at how they are going about navigating their physical realities and what they expect and what they experience out of it. And um, why are you here? You, in the case in Montana, why are you there having to having that experience? Gives you something to uh, talk about over the dinner table. Yeah, definitely something to talk about. And I guess the unfortunate fortunate side of things is that you know it is too much at sometimes because, um, there is so much talk about it and you can't escape it. And, um, seems like everybody that you meet or, or greet, or, you know, as soon as you see somebody new that day, <clears throat> you obviously drift to that uh, same conversation, but, um, kind of like we're doing here, but you know, there's, there's much more to your life than just, um, you know, experiencing a uh, global pandemic at the moment. But uh, tonight I wanted to talk to you a little <laughs> bit about your life. And um, you're, you uh, are basically a CE5 experiencer, and I wanted you to explain CE5 and mutual and bilateral communication and how that pertains to your life. Well, I'm what I call a, a CE5 experiencer light version. I'm not an inductee that I particularly know about, though I've had very common dreams where I am being put back in bed by little four-foot and a half-tall grays and their long, spindly, little tickly fingers. 
Uh, but that's the closest I can get to having a hard CE5 experience of abduction. But when I was, um, I was growing up, uh, there was a, a lot of conversation just beginning at that time. In 1961 was the first time that grades were ever mentioned. Uh, in 1962, I found myself having an experience. I was uh, 16-ish or so at the time baseball player I was I got up out of bed and jumped into my car took off down this road just down the street from my house been down it a million times but it just didn't seem right it didn't seem natural I guess it, it didn't wasn't uncomfortable it wasn't discomforting but I was just I wasn't pushing the gas pedal like you usually push a gas pedal and then shift the car with the stick, you know, all the things you usually do in driving a car. I wasn't doing, I was just like being a passenger on an amusement ride. And it didn't seem that awfully strange. Like I said, it wasn't disconcerting, but we go down this road and we come to the bottom of the, of this hill. And I find myself getting out of the car and going up and looking into a, an area that is covered with high power lines, the big tower lattices that you see to the you know, two or three stories tall that, that carry the, the really heavy power lines. And I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and this particular easement serviced most of Memphis, East Memphis's uh, electricity. And I'm looking through this cyclone fence, which uh, into this easement area, and I can see what appears to be a, a flying saucer. Now, again, remember, we're talking about, you know, early times now. And I'm looking at this flying saucer, and, and I'm saying to myself, I don't know exactly what that is, but I see two beings below it walking around. They seem to be very busy. They weren't paying any attention to me. I was 50 meters away or so. And all of a sudden, the third being comes down out of this saucer on some kind of ramp. I couldn't exactly see because the ramp wasn't facing me. And the two beings that were doing this, this pivot work that they were doing around the, the base of their, of their saucer, which was standing up on four or five tripods, they turned around and looked at me. And I can tell you to this day, I can remember that stare that I got from those two gray beings who were passing the information to me telepathically, I assume, uh, that they wanted to know what I was looking at. What was I doing there in the first place? And who are you? And, and they were almost upset, almost irritated, I think is a better word. And next thing I know, I'm back in my bed, alarm ring. I'm doing the same thing again. I'm getting up out of my, my bed. I'm going, getting in my car. I'm getting my baseball cleats and gloves and all that stuff. I'm going down the same road and thinking, this feels so weird. And by the way, why am I wet? I didn't realize, I thought maybe I sweated all night or something, but I was just drenched. And since I was going to the baseball practice, I didn't want to go and take a shower or anything. So I'm going down there to pick up my friend and it's pouring down raining the whole way on the same road. And I can barely see where I'm going. And I finally get to my friend's place and, and he comes to the door in his jockey shorts. And he says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm coming to get you for practice. He said, it's rained all night long. I said, well, it's rained all night long. He said, it has rained constantly for the last 16 to 18 hours. We're not going to have practice. And he slams the door and goes back in, and I go home and, and wrote it 
started to write it down and then forgot about it for a long, long time, Cameron. And then the, the oh, three or four years ago, maybe, then the images and the feeling of the meetup and the visual all started coming back to me. Why? I don't know what triggered it, um, but it did. And I can then start to piece together what had happened to me, but I was still left with the with the question of, did I have an out-of-body experience or did I have an extraterrestrial encounter or did I have both and are they essentially the same thing? And I think one of the reasons I didn't think about this when I was 15, 16, 17 years of age is that that was so far away from anything I was thinking about at that time. And then it wasn't until I started taking on a more metaphysical bent to my life uh, five or 10 years ago, that some of these images started coming back. And I wrote an article based on that. Uh, it said, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's a difference between an out-of-body experience and an extraterrestrial encounter. Now, I've taught OBE. I have had multiple out-of-body experiences myself where there were no extraterrestrials involved. I can tell you that I, I know the difference until you start to throw the extraterrestrial curve in there. And this particular time that I had this experience, the two rides, one which was not a ride in physical reality, and the other which definitely was, the second one in the rain when I got turned away at the door, really led me to start to think and investigate about other people's extraterrestrial experiences, non-abducted experiences now. Uh, in particular, and how they went about assessing whether or not they were having a true extraterrestrial experience, if it was a dream state or if it was an out-of-body experience. And that started me writing quite a few of the articles that you mentioned uh, on the front hand and where I kind of picked up the, the lexicon of being a, a CE5 and, as I said, a light experience I've had a few others, but nothing really as dramatic as that. And uh, I didn't remember that for gosh, 50 years, I suppose. Yeah, probably close to 50 years. And then the images and the smell of that day, the, the uh, fog that I was driving through when I saw the extraterrestrials, how all that mist went away, all those really intimate details. And when I started writing about it, it really started coming through then. And I've talked to a lot of people about that, Cameron, and, and they'll tell you, you, you always have heard, you know, when you have a dream, get up right about it in the, in the next morning. Otherwise, you'll forget it. But the thing that I have found with paranormal, supernatural encounters is that the, when you start putting them into paper for me, it forces very strong recollections of the event. So that's what got me to writing this, all the articles that I wrote, uh, and especially those that involve spirit and extraterrestrial communication, consciousness, is, you know, in general. And it kind of got me on this path of, of doing these types of uh, uh, podcasts with, uh, with friendly folks like you. Friendly folks like me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Glad to have you along. Um, you're an expert on mediumship of all types. Explain the types and specifically uh, physical mediumship. Well, to explain physical mediumship, let's go through the, the general categories of mediumship. You, you have the, the psychic 
which you see in almost every major city. Somebody has a palm reader or a tarot card reader, or they are uh, uh, able to pull information from what you might call the information field, general information field. And that may or may not have anything to do with people that you know have who have died. Sometimes psychics will communicate with what we call discarnates, dead people, spirits. Most of the time, not. They're pretty good about telling you things that are going on in your life and when you might get married and things like that. The second level of mediumship is mental mediumship. And mental mediumship is, is traditionally the discarnate or spirit world uh, having an intention to make contact with someone that they have, quote, left behind, a daughter, a husband, brother, sister, relatives, friend. And the communication between a mental medium and the person who is doing the sitting is one that's more like a conversation with the mental medium being the bridge in between. Uh, there are a number of mental mediums out there today, and there's probably 10 times as many psychics as there are mental mediums. But that's the defining uh, quality of, of mental mediumship. Now, when you jump into physical mediumship, you're, you're talking about a whole different ball game altogether. The only thing that really is similar between mental and physical mediumship is that there is spirit communication involved. But the physical mediumship is based upon, typically, is based upon a seance setting, a darkened room, a small group of sitters, 15, 20, usually no more than 30 or 35 sitters, a physical medium who disappears into a cabinet made out of a black cloth, just something to separate him from the rest of the sitters. He is uh, bound and gagged and tied to some type of chair, um, or he's being held by people who are sitting to his left and right to make sure that he does not move. The medium is typically in complete trance, meaning that when the seance is over, he has no recollection at all, or if it's death, he has a vague recollection of what went on. In the physical mediumship seance, the communication is from multiple spirits. It can be in conversational mode. It can be in a mode where they just come through and lecture uh, and give advice. There are celebrities that come through. Uh, Winston Churchill is one that, that comes through almost all of the existing physical mediums. There's probably only five at the most six that internationally travel. So of the group where you've got thousands of psychics, you just got a really rare handful of of folks that are able to make that connection between spirit and then also allow spirit to produce the phenomenology. And it's what I call the show part of the, the showbiz part of the seance, where things are moved without being touched by human hands. Spirit voices come in from all sides of the room. Music's, uh, music is played. Um, there is all sorts of, of uh, light phenomena, spirit lights, small lightning bolts between the hands of the medium. Uh, it's varied. It depends on which medium you're sitting with. He has, every one of them have their own, what you might call, uh, 
the special abilities. Uh, they produce those uh, special abilities in almost every seance without fail. So physical mediumship has a very high delivery rate. And it is as much of a show, a fun time for sitters, as it is a way of producing information and evidence of consciousness evolving past death. Uh, the difference between the mental medium and the physical medium is so large that if you've never been to a physical mediumship seance and you've been to a hundred mental mediums, you'll never get the feel or the understanding of what's going on in the seance room and the kinds of phenomena that can be produced uh, in the seance room, including full manifestations of spirit typically clothed in an ectoplasmic covering which is their way of kind of putting on their physical reality armor, so to speak, that allows them to manifest. But you can touch these spirits. They will come and touch you. Uh, you can um, ask questions and have discourse with uh, the spirit over things that you may want to, to discuss that are particular to that particular spirit. For instance, uh, Winston, Winston Churchill came through in, in a seance uh, couple, three years back, and uh, he came over to me. When I say came over to me, his voice moved from one side of the room to the other and addressed me. And I've been to so many physical mediumship seances that, you know, Cameron, most of the repeating spirits that come back, the kind of regulars, you might say, uh, know who I am. And so I, he addressed me with my, my first name and said, Walter, I'd like to... Uh, have you take down, transcribe a book for me? I said, okay, Winston, you know, what are you thinking about in the way of a name for this book? And he says, well, I'm thinking about something like uh, the prime minister's view of the spirit world or the spirit realm uh, from the other side. And I said, okay, that's fine and whatnot. And so we're carrying on this, you know, this conversation about something it's a real test. It's something that can really be done. I asked him, I said, how long is this book? And he says, well, it's going to be 671 pages. And I said, geez. I said, Winston, that's going to take 80, 90 hours of seance time just doing your book to get <laughs> it done. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> he just, or more. You know, he laughed a little bit. He, or more. And he laughed a little bit just kind of like you did because he didn't think it was a problem. Of course, it's it's a it's a what's the word? It's a non-starter. It's, what yeah, it yeah. Is. it's not a problem. He's, he's not the one it, doing all the work. Yeah. Well, plus he lives in a timeless environment, right? So when you say to him, eighty hours, a hundred hours, what the heck does he care? You know, he just wants his book out. Well, you know, he's never gotten his book written, and I don't think it ever will be written. But it is one of my more favorite stories, and I think it helps exemplify one of the major differences between mental mediumship, which is more about discarnate and incarnate and communication between the dead and the living, and physical mediumship where the communication part is phenomena as well as it can be conversational, and it can be about anything that you really want to, to discuss with uh, a spirit or a spirit control, which is the spirit that is responsible for, he's sort of like the MC of the uh, seance piece. You know, he keeps everybody coming and going, and, and he'll tell the jokes when there are jokes to be told, and 
tell people to hold their hands and sing to you know, upgrade frequency in the room, get energy up in the room. And, and uh, I have a kind of a funny story about that. It involves both spirit and extraterrestrial. I'd always been of the, of the opinion that the spirit realm and the extraterrestrial realm were, you know, well um, known to each other. And uh, David Thompson is a Australian physical medium. I've sat many times with David. And his spirit control is William. And William comes into the seance room, squashing around on the floor. You can hear the ectoplasm squishing beneath his feet. He comes over and he'll put his hands on your head. He'll talk to you. He'll ask if you have any questions. You can ask him a question, whatever you want. And he was doing this one night and on his way back to the cabinet, because in a David Thompson seance, spirit comes out typically one after another. So like one act shows. And so he was on his way back to the cabinet to have some other spirit come through uh, and address the sitters. And he got to the point. Now, remember, we're in a dark seance, so I can't see him, but I can hear him. And he comes right in front of me, which also happened to be right next to where the cabinet where David was sitting. And he turns to me and says, Walter, do you have a question? And I said, yeah, William, I, I do. And how he figured this out, I don't know. Uh, because I had had this question in my head for some time. So it apparently made its way energetically into his head. He said, well, what is it? I said, tell me what you know about the ET world. And he gave me the most startling response because it wasn't the response I expected. The response he gave me was, well, you know, it's a big universe and there's lots of planets and stars and all that other stuff. And I'm sure that there's other life out there, but I haven't got an idea in the world. I've never met an extraterrestrial or seen one in my life. And I kind of went, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I kind of thought you guys were all buddies or something. You know, you're, you're all in these upper vibratory levels. Surely you would have some opportunities to mix and mingle. But in his particular case, at least, that, that wasn't so. And it pointed out to me that this idea of vibration, resonance, and frequency, which divides us from the spirit world, from the extraterrestrial community, is has very firm barriers in there. That there are spirits who have no ability to go to a higher vibration of an extraterrestrial. There are extraterrestrials that have no interest in going to a lower vibration uh, spirit realm and discuss with dead humans you know, things that they already know everything about. And that separation is one that started me off in thinking and discussing and writing about both the similarities between, as well as the major differences that exist between communication, the seance with spirit, and the communication with the extraterrestrial, whether it be through a CE5 or a 4 encounter or on the very rare occasion, the ET will come through in the, in the sale. So that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of how that all started for me, where I, my interest started peaking about the ET and spirit communication, the intertwinedness of it or lack thereof, how they interacted or how they did not interact. And, uh, the positive influence it had in saying to me and teaching me that that these energetic realms that we talk of are very real. They're not necessarily always transmutable, 
And one spirit may have communication with another. Don't expect your mom to know Churchill if she happens to be passed over. My parents have passed over. I don't think they know who Winston Churchill is. Uh, so a lot like we have in the physical uh, reality that we live in, in our physical world, where we have, you know, races and divisions by country and divisions by language and philosophy and et cetera, their divisions are more by simple energetic uh, barriers. Now we have these big, these, these barriers that you spoke of, um, why is it that we can communicate through the barriers? And then the other question and the second part of that question would be if we have these barriers and we're able to communicate through them, why are we able to do it in different ways? Why are there different types of communication that people have, but yet it's through this barrier that, that we just can't pass through at will. So the answer to the second question is different strokes, different folks. And that has to do with both, the spirit side of the equation where certain spirits have certain capabilities. They, they are able to uh, specialize in particular types of uh, communication with the physical world, but they may only be able to do it in a particular way. Most of the spirits that come through in the physical mediumship seance have been doing this for quite some time. I mentioned Warren Taylor. I can mention three or four others who have been giving physical mediumship seances for 10, 15 years, maybe better. And you can see that their spirits progress in their ability uh, to communicate. Uh, an example, I recently heard from a friend that John Lennon is coming through in one of the physical mediumship uh, seances on a regular basis. Well, the first time I had any knowledge of John Lennon coming through in any seance, was when my wife and I attended a uh, seance and she got called to the chair in front of the cabinet, which is not untypical, but spirit likes to put their hands on you, get the medium to put his hands on you and they put their hands on you and pat your back and let everybody else know that they're physical and they can slap your back and you can hear the thumping and they ruffle your hair and all that other stuff. Just proving that they're as physical as they are, they're just unseen physical. And so she sits down in the chair and the uh, circle leader, a, a close friend of mine, started up his CD player and doggone, here comes Imagine, the John Lennon song on. And the next thing I know, we hear John Lennon's voice singing, oh, I'd say probably the first three, four, five verses of Imagine to my wife. But he came through so faintly that if you weren't sitting fairly close to the cabinet where this was happening, you might have not heard him at all. Or if you did, you may have heard him just very, very, very faintly. I understand now he's in full bloom. He comes into the, to the spirit room, sounds just like John Lennon, talks just like John Lennon, has the same interest as John Lennon, and is just as loud as John Lennon was. So over time, Spirit gets better at something, at particular modes of of um, communication. Some spirits like to write. We have a little boy come through and called Tommy in one of our physical mediumship seances, 
And Tommy's a real character. He was a comedian, Baldwinian comedian in, in real life. He's a real character. He's a little raunchy on top of it. He, he can be off color in a, in a second. Uh, and he likes to do that with the women, you know, tell them little raunchy little jokes and, and make fun of things that, that women aren't particularly happy to be made fun of. And, and Tommy's whole shtick is he's, he writes things. So I was talking to Tommy and I don't know what about. And I mentioned that I said to him, I said, Tommy, I have a cat. And my cat, his name is Tommy. And he said, really? He said, you calling me a cat? I said, no, I'm not, not calling you a cat. I said, I have a cat that has the same name as you. And he was either being mean or he didn't understand me. And I think it was more the first part. And he picks up this top of the styrofoam box and clunks me upside the head with it. Now, I didn't see the thing coming because we're in a darkened seance room. Next thing I know, I'm getting thunked in the head after the seance is over with on the floor in the middle of the room were several drawn pictures. And one of them was a drawn picture of my cat, him and me, stick figure. Now, not, not portrait, stick figure. And he had scribbled, I'm not a cat on it. And he had, um, had thought that the uh, uh, inference was, uh, that I was making was one that was uh, supposed to have been uh, cynical to him. And it wasn't. But a year and a half later, my cat died. And the picture that the, he showed me was of the cat that had his tail down and all four paws in the air laying on his back. Now, I don't know if that was foreshadowing or coincidence. To this day, I don't know. You talked but about uh, method let me, of let me, let me ask you this question really mm-hmm. quick. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we sure. <clears throat> you're able to talk to uh, two very, very, very well known people who are known everywhere on the planet, and um, probably two of the most prominent celebrities that have ever been known. Um, wh- why people like that? Why not just hundreds of people that nobody's ever heard of? Um, I'm sure you get those too, but, too. But, but how did that get, how did these two super huge, popular, well-known people get it injected into your, uh, into your circle there? I think that the answer to that is in testability. When Winston Churchill or John Lennon or anybody who has a history of having audio and or video of them when they lived and spoke, especially public speaking. You now have a way of, of testing the sound of one against the sound of the other. Matter of fact, I can't remember the gentleman who's, I think it's Ed Cruz, K-R-U-S-E. He recently did a side-by-side comparison. And forgive me, I don't remember if it was Churchill or one of the other celebrity um, uh, uh, spirits that come through. And he found that the inflection rates, uh, the, the grammar, the, all of the, all of the uh, frequency modulation and all of those things were so close to Winston Churchill that it made it very, very difficult not to believe that this was the spirit of Winston, Winston Churchill coming by to, uh, to have a conversation with us that evening. 
So I think it has to do with testability because, you know, you know, Churchill, as soon as Churchill opens his mouth, you're listening to an audio of him. <laughs> you got your eyes closed. You know, it's him. Right. But and uh, it's the same good, way. Good answer, by the yeah. way, because, you know, I, I, I knew you would have an answer for that, but <laughs> that's a, that's a weird, you know, not weird, but it, it's a question <laughs> that, uh, you know, John Lennon, my God, I mean, that's like, who, who I can't think of many people more, you know, in that world that I'd rather talk to. Yeah, really. And, and, uh, I always kid my wife, I say, you know, you get him for the first time and he hadn't got a damn thing to say, you know, <laughs> except he sings a little bit. Yeah. And I really would like to have asked him a few things. He, he John Lennon and could my be wife pretty, be, could, could have been uh, pretty selfish back in the day, but, uh, and, um, well, many people tried to get him to talk, but, he, but really when he did talk, he, he made a huge impact. Yeah, he sure did. And I really wanted to ask him about his New York City ET experience he had with the Flying Saucer right. that, that he saw out at the Dakota building. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a video someplace, uh, probably up on YouTube, of that. It's really interesting because he talks about where it came and how it flew by and what color lights it had on. I think he even drew some pictures of it and whatnot. And he was not with Yoko at the time. He was uh, playing around with uh, his uh, his other girlfriend, May. I can't remember her name. but Anyway, he wasn't with Yoko at the time, but she confirmed the sighting and, and all of what he had to say about it. Uh, and uh, But it gives you that, that, that era of, of testability. Now, on some occasion, Spirit will come through and will give you something that will sh- prove to you or show you that they have extraordinary capabilities. That these are capabilities that that are you're not going to find among human beings. Uh, I'll give you an example. In one of the seances that I've uh, I've sat in several times, David Thompson. When David goes into the cabin, he is he's got a tennis ball in his mouth and a gag, and he's tied to a chair. And just make sure that he isn't the one doing any of the phenomenon in the seance. And so he's doing all that stuff, and uh, he has a cardigan sweater, which he puts on. It buttons up the front. You know the old type used to button up the front? Yes. And then he would, we would take twist ties, not twist ties, zip lock, zip ties, and zip tie the holes um, through so that not only did the buttons hold the sweater on, but the zip ties held the sweater on. At the end of the seance, they drop him into the middle of the seance for about 15 feet from the cabinet, chair it all, and his cardigan sweater is completely turned around backwards. So the, the zip, the, uh, uh, zip locks, zip ties are in the back, still whole. His buttons are in the back. His cardigan sweater has been swapped from front to back. And the only way that they could do this is they had to dematerialize the zips. They had to unbutton the sweater, or better yet, they probably just dematerialized the sweater, turned it around, rematerialized everything so that it was buttoned and zipped back again and put him back in his chair. Wow. And that's the only way that could have possibly have been done. So when you see something like that, you know, this is, this is well outside of what anybody could do 
bag, uh, uh, gagged and blindfolded in a cabinet, much less any human could do <laughs> in any circumstance when they're bound and gagged to a chair. So you have these, these times where uh, the testability of the power of spirit or that you're actually dealing with other than earthly beings, which is probably the best way of saying that, uh, becomes almost irrefutable. And that is why they do things like that. Now, you had a first part to your question, if you can remember what it was. Well, I, I, no, that's not important. We can, we can move on. You answered all my question right there. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, though, you write about consciousness, spirit communication, and extraterrestrial interaction. Explain that, and are those things related in any way? Because I have people ask me all the time, if the spirit world and the extraterrestrial world are one, do they interact, or are they separate physical realms? I have seen very little evidence that there is any really significant interaction between the spirit world and the extraterrestrial community. Now, the ET occasionally will come through in the physical mediumship sound. It's rare, probably only three or four times, and I've sat 30 times maybe. They just don't seem to have a great deal of interest in one another, for one thing. A lot of the spirit community, depending upon the, the level of the vibration of the spirit, you know, a ghost is really just a, a, a spirit with an extremely low level of vibration, low enough that, the, that they actually will materialize and dematerialize in front of our eyes. So you have those levels of spirit. Then you have spirits who are at a very high level. And these are your advanced masters, the, the Jesus and Christ consciousness, Buddha spirit, those kinds of things. There's no indication that any of the advanced higher level vibratory beings are having any considerable interaction with the extraterrestrial community. And why that is has always been, Cameron, I'll, I'll be honest with you, has always been outside of these vibrational barriers that are there. ET can get around that stuff with no problem. Why that is, I don't really know. But they just don't seem to have a great deal of interest in one another. On the spirit side, I don't think they know a whole heck of a lot about the extraterrestrial community. On the extraterrestrial community side, they're more interested in pushing forward first contact with us at this point than they are with trying to, you know, get with a bunch of dead people who they're not trying to make any real communication with, especially in, in these times that we're living in now as we accelerate toward hard face-to-face -face contact with the extraterrestrial community. And they seem to be much more focused in presenting evidence of that helping us navigate physical reality, and not so much an intercommunication between uh, the spirit realm and the extraterrestrial community. But look, in the extra extraterrestrial community, when you look at the, the plethora of information out there that is either being channeled uh, or is being presented by the ET community, they're fully concentrated on helping us get through 
the problems that we have with physical reality and to begin to set up the reality of that face-to-face contact. So it seems to be something more of a focus. What I've heard maybe one, two out of a hundred, two percent, three percent of of all those communications, there's just so much material out there that you could spend, and I have literally spent years going through the material and reading it and enjoying the process of learning about it, but they just don't seem to have a whole heck of a lot of interest in each other. And ultimately, I'm not exactly certain why that is. I'm speculating. You've had uh, over 100 out-of-body experiences. What does that look like, and how do you prepare, and, and what is that experience like? Well, the first one that I had that I absolutely knew was self-initiated, or I should say this, put it this way, that was initiated without being in a dream state or some other type of of um, induced um, higher vibratory state. The only one, the ones that, that where I actually was laying down or relaxing or meditating and begin to feel the energy built in me, which is the beginning and the initiation for me of an out-of-body experience, when that happened, in my particular case, and I, I've read many instances with other OBEers about them having the same types of lead up to process before they pop out of their body. In my case, the I get a vortex spiraling inside of my head. It's sort of like, you know, when you shut your eyes and you got these, you know, lights flashing you know, when you shut eyes, except when I shut my eyes, I see a spiraling vortex. And when I see that spiraling vortex come on, if I relax and concentrate on that, something like a third eye concentration, and I concentrate on that, if I hang with it and don't chicken out, because the vibrations can be so intense, they're locomotive-like, that I have to really kind of grip my teeth when I first started having OBE to get through that vibratory experience before I would pop out. And the first ones that I did, I popped out just inside my house. And I'd float around, look down at myself in the, the bedroom, uh, ceiling to where I'd be laying in bed. I'd, you know, I floated down the hallway one time. Uh, you would see something uh, that I in another room that I didn't really know that was there. I'd come back into my body, next day I'd wake up, and this morning I'd wake up, or that same you know, minute or so after the OBE is through, uh, I would wake up and go into that room and see something that I had, that would tell me for certain that I had been in that room and had been in there shortly, that this item that was in that room wasn't there the last time I looked in there, and confirmed that I had actually made that transition to seeing that physical reality, that physical experience in an out-of-body state. Now, there's all different types of -of out-of-body experiences that you can have, which include ones that are not self-induced, 
much like the ones I was telling you about earlier about my extraterrestrial experience that came through a dream state. And there are those that that come on to you as an out-of-body experience where you don't even know you were out-of-body. And this one can be really disconcerting the first time it happens because <laughs> I was not really trying to have an out-of-body experience. The vortex spiraling started. I concentrated, relaxed, and I got to that point where I was about ready to pop out, and I didn't. And I hate that because I'll spend the rest of the day with a slight tremor in my hand. I mean, I can still write and feed myself and, and do those things, but I, I will have a slight tremor in my hand because it's leftover energetic buildup that's getting released. Well, this time I, you know, I didn't get out. And I was going, dadgummit. So I get up off my bed, I walk through the house, and all of a sudden I find myself going out the front door. I don't really know why, but it seems natural. And there's this guy repairing something on my on my carport, and I'm going, I don't remember asking him here, but oh, that's good. Okay, good. Dude. And I say, I'm going to go lay down my, on my front lawn, lay in the grass. I never do this. And by the way, my front lawn rarely has grass. I live in Florida. We don't have grass down here. It burns out six months out of the year. And I find myself laying down on the grass, and, and this pair of what I think are sisters come walking along, and they're like Siamese twins. They're locked. They're lockstep. They're walking along. They seem to be connected at the hip or something, and they lean over to me. And they say something like, may, may I, will you, April, may, are you? And then they leave. And all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, I'm in an out-of-body experience. I didn't miss it. I just thought I missed it. And yet here I am in it. And of course, at that point, you wake up. Because as soon as you realize that you are in an out-of-body experience, and you are away from your physical body, at least in a conscious level, it'll pop you back in a heartbeat. And if you read any of the OBE authors, they will all tell you more or less the same thing. William Buhlman, B-U-H-L-M-M-A-N, is my favorite. And he will tell you that the out-of-body experience will only last as long as you can stay connected to being out-of-body. As soon as you start thinking about your real body, or physical reality, or something that has to do with being back in body, you're, bang, you're gone. You're right back in body. And your OBE will be gone. I learned early on, when I was going out of body as a child, not self-initiated, just to pop out in the middle of the day, or in the middle of the night in a dream state, and would see myself flying above my little community, and I would walk, look down and see my friends playing baseball or whatever they were doing, you know. And the next day I would come and say, hey, guys, you know, I saw you over there. And, yeah, you know that ball? That ball was foul. And they're looking at me like I was nuts. So what are you talking about? You were here. We didn't invite you to come play. So they thought I was spying on them. And so it took <laughs> you know, it wasn't very long. I didn't get invited to any more baseball games in the neighborhood. Because I became, you know, kind of a suspect <laughs> individual. Yeah. So you kind of, you know, you have these different kinds of out-of-body experiences that come from those that are not initiated at all, 
those that are self-initiated, those that you, that you try to initiate and then think you have failed and didn't. And then there's the ones where you were sure as heck that you were out of body and come to find out that you were just dreaming the whole time, that you actually fell asleep, that you weren't out of body in the sense of being awake and having an out-of-body experience. Because dreams and everything, they're all out-of-body experiences anyway. You know, we enter the dream state. That's when we travel. That's when we meet with our spirit guides and we have our extraterrestrial connections and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's that state as it is to begin with. So it gets to be a complex architecture that you, takes you a while to navigate through. And I'm thankful that I've had enough of them now that it, that's not a problem for me. I almost always know when I'm out of body. I almost always know when I'm not. I almost always know when I'm in a dream state that's going into an OBE. I'm rarely confused anymore, and I can self-initiate one just about any time that I desire if I can get myself into the mental state and the, the level of comfort and relaxation where I can allow the energy to begin to build and create the opportunity for me to, uh, to pop out. Very cool. Talk about channeling. Yeah, I'll try one one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those unfortunate or fortunate ones. Did, did you ever feel like this is a curse? I mean, I don't want, I don't want to have that ability, but uh, um, you seem to be happy. Um, is there any time or oh, point yeah. in your life where it felt like a curse? Only when I was younger and I had times that I just knew that these were things that I couldn't talk about um, in my family. I had a small family. My mother passed early on. My father was not around a whole lot. My sister was 10 years old and she was gone. So I, I really just had myself and my neighborhood and I couldn't talk to these people about those things in the neighborhood. And I, on top of that, to make things even worse, I was Roman Catholic. And, you, you know, you don't go into the confessional and start saying, you know, bless me, Father, for I've had an extraterrestrial experience. You know, you should, it, you should give it, you should give it a try, though. <laughs> I would, I would, but that's not really a sin. But, you know, who, who, if you can't tell a priest, who can you tell? Right. Well, that's a, you know, that's a very good point. The trouble was I was having so much trouble staying in right. Catholic school uh, that I just didn't really want to press the boundaries much anymore. No, 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 no. And, no. and just because, you know, and, and no, Cameron, when you talk to your peers, even though your peers might be 8, 9, 10, 11 years of age, and they look at you with that look, you know, right. it's just not a conversation you want to have a lot of because at 11 years of age or whatever the heck it was, you know, there's no explaining <laughs> There's no explaining this. I mean, we didn't know what an OBE was or a spirit person or ETs or anything was back then. Yeah, so when he, I, back then be, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, I had, uh, and I've told the story before, but um, not didn't go this direction with it, but I had a friend who lived down the street and um, just really, really small town. So, you know, I only had one friend my age, but, you know, I had a lot of very strange experiences and um, I never told him about them. However, I knew there was something weird about this guy. You know, he, I knew he had experienced something and he never told me. Um, there was things he knew all the time, you know, uh, 
Um, you know, this was back in the day, long, you know, in the seventies pre-internet and he knew about everything. And I'm like wondering all the time where he gets this information because it's not like his family ever traveled anywhere. We lived probably at that time, a hundred miles from the nearest big town. And, um, he just knew all this stuff all the time. And, um, he was getting information fed to him somehow. And, you know, I still wonder to this day, but I've never asked him. Well, now you got a reason to ask. After you get, we get through doing this, send them the recording <laughs> and uh, say, I brought you up. And I've never asked you about this. So now that now I've made it public, well, what the heck was going on with you? <laughs> Are you still in contact with him? I'm not, but it, you know, I could be. But when I was thinking, though, that when you're talking about channeling extraterrestrials and, and you've written about that, um, who've you, who have you communicated? Can you name them or a place that they're from? I have personally never channeled an extraterrestrial. I have been with people who channel extraterrestrial. Do they make themselves the known famous, where they're from? Oh, yes. Well, for instance, the most famous uh, extraterrestrial that has been coming through since 1983 is Bashar. And Bashar has been coming through uh, Daryl Anka as his uh, medium, as his channel. Since, uh, as I said, 83, I've got almost a terabyte of videos, audios, documents, etc., books in PDF form that uh, Bashar has either channeled or Daryl has written. And he, he, tell, he will tell you exactly who he is, where he's from. He's an Essesani being from the planet uh, Sasani that is in another dimension. He's uh, 300 years Daryl Anker's future self. And you ask him any question within reason and he will give you any answer that you want. So it's not like these guys are, are necessarily um, shy about talking about their own lineage and their own heritage. And as I said, Bashar is, used to be the most easily accessible extraterrestrial channeled information uh, until they started enforcing copyright laws and pretty much knocked him off of YouTube. And uh, so it's a little bit more difficult to get his information. You have to buy the uh, the DVD set or, the, or download the, the uh, MP3 in order to do this. And, you know... The, there's a lot of people who can't afford to do that. Uh, as a consequence, there's a certain constriction on that. But there are numbers of other beings that have come through, and they provide evidence of not only what their societies look like, what they look like, how they go about doing this and that, and the other, you know, how they have children, if they have children. Are they married? Anything that is societal about some of these more extensive uh, extraterrestrial channelers, that information is there. In particular, and, and I'll be happy to send you a link to my uh, my storage box where I have all of the Paul Hamden, who is a physical medium, and William Trinier, who is a co-author with Paul, has brought through the 
a number of beings, primarily Zeta Reticuli beings. But he's also brought through the Norians and, and Anunnaki and, and you know, Pleiadians and all this other stuff. They've written about 1,500 pages of this information. And fascinating stuff, difficult stuff, because some of this information is very scientifically advanced. It's very uh, technical. Uh, matter of fact, William Trinette is a, is a physicist. And there's a reason he teamed up with the physical medium who was channeling these Zeta and other beings, because he could understand the physics. And William and I have become very good friends over the years. And I have to lean on him constantly to have him interpret some of the writing about the Zeta beings, especially things about like their life and their society and, you know, how they destroyed themselves, why they have a genetic um, markup program, why they're involved with us. It gets to be quite extensive amount of information. And they're not at all shy about telling you uh, through their physical media, Paul Hammond, and are still doing it to this day about the, uh, uh, about the information that they want to provide that they feel is necessary to help us navigate physical reality as we go through having the experiences that we came here to have. So they're doing it in a loving, supportive uh, manner, but there's also history involved in that. There's also, you know, new experiences and revelations of how other uh, beings live on other planets, where those planets are, what dimensions that they're in and the like. It, it really is fascinating. So I think you'll enjoy looking at some of it. Uh, if you aren't already familiar with it. You've said that after years of study, you found a, a fascinating correlation between the communications from the physically dead and the off-planet-based extraterrestrial worlds, where they agree and disagree. What does that mean exactly? What it, what it means is it alludes to the fact that we were discussing earlier, that there is an extraterrestrial realm and, and when we're not talking about a half a dozen ET races, we're talking about billions of ET races that fall within a very broad energetic uh, realm that they exist in, and then the spirit realm. But when they do cross over, it's, it's really interesting to see what they have to say about each other. And I have from that is saying. And the thing that I came up with is if you want to know about extraterrestrials, ask an ET. If you want to know about spirit, ask an ET. Because he knows a heck of a lot more about the spirit realm than the spirit realm knows about the ET community out there. But they do overlap in terms of things that are in what I would call the metaphysical nature, the higher science nature of how you exist in a higher vibratory alignment, at what vibration level do you move to another realm, and these kinds of things where they have some common interest in getting information to us that, again, helps us understand why we came here how to get accomplished the themes that we are uh, sent here to experience that we have come from spirit 
to experience here in the physical reality as human beings and to help ingratiate that entire uh, cycle of experience so that we get everything that we needed to when we came here. Truth of the matter is, it is my opinion, and I think it's becoming more the opinion of, of more and more people that are investigating spirit communications, extraterrestrial communications, that we've really never left spirit. That you and I are right now having this conversation with each other, probably having fun with each other, saying, look at these guys down there. <laughs> talking to each other over headsets and whatnot, because we came here and it was planned for us to have this experience. It was part of what we wanted to get accomplished in order to give a different point of view, have a different experience, and be able to learn things and themes that we came down here to learn that are so valuable and can only be learned on physical planets and, and physical environments like we have here. We have a very unique place, I believe, in the universe, in Earth. We certainly have one in our known universe. We, how many planets like Earth do we really find, and how many of them do we really find any life on? There's not many out there. So this little blue gem that we're on is a really unique place. And it's one of the reasons, I think it is the primary reason, by the way, Cameron, that the extraterrestrial community is so deeply involved with us when it comes to things like nuclear war and nuclear armament. They're going to allow us to do pretty much whatever we want to do to ourselves, as stupid as we want to act. But they're not going to let them. They're not going to let us blow this planet up, put this space in jeopardy, because extraterrestrials reincarnate just as humans reincarnate, choose to where they go. And one of the reasons that I believe that we have gone from 2 billion people to almost 7 billion people in a very short period of time is that there is such a demand to have the Earth experience here. There's such a unique experience, such a low vibration experience, such a, a mastery of limitation type of experience that they are almost um, incessant about making certain that we keep this physical reality available to all of the souls that are trying to get here to have this high-learning, lower-vibratory experience. I, I really believe that that's the case. So when you hear about the extraterrestrials disarming nuclear, when you hear about uh, extraterrestrials claiming that you can do whatever you want, but there are not going to be any nuclear wars, they're very adamant about that. And they have and will continue to step in to keep us from a path of total annihilation. And the reason I again believe is, is this is such a, a wonderful place to have an incarnation. The high learning can be had here that cannot be had in many other places, certainly no other places you and I know of. And that made me become very selfish about that. It's about the only time that I am sure that they will step in and interfere directly with uh, human affairs. Interesting. 
You said that uh, we live in a uh, time-dominated dom- time fourth-dimensional world which languages and experiences are laid out end-to-end. Yeah, it's fourth-dimensional. You'll hear most people will say, well, you know, it's a 3D world. And it's, it's not. It's, it's a 4D world because we have, we have three dimensions or facets of space height, width, length. But we are, we add the, the, uh, the quality of time. Yes. So the time gives us, gives us that fourth dimensional capability. You take time away from us, we have, you have 3D, but then you have like a cube is three dimensional. When we have time, time makes this uh, entirely a different experience for us. And I think that the dimensionality is the major reason that we have such great extraterrestrial interest in all, because they have tendencies to live in fifth, sixth, and other dimensionalities, and also in non-dimensionality altogether. They can live non-physically. They can live non-dimensionally. Uh, they can have any experience. But if they want this experience here within a fourth dimensional world, you're going to have to come to Earth to have that fourth dimensional experience. Now, did I answer your question or did I skirt around it? Oh, you answered my question. I mean, it's a, that's a tough, tough thing to answer. Um, you know, it, when, you, when you speak in terms of, of four dimensions and, of course, time being the fourth, it's, it's a concept that, a lot of people have a hard time with. So it's um, something that I think you need to study a while and then set it aside a while. You know, it's one of those things that uh, maybe Um, it'll come to you. Maybe it it might come to you. Maybe it won't. But uh, in the end, you're going to learn something. Well, you know, it's, it's like the concept of no past and no future. One moment. I've been looking at the, that concept of there no be, not being a past or a future and everything happening in one moment for as long as I can remember being metaphysical. And to this day, I still struggle with that. I struggle with it because it's so ingrained in our fourth dimensional reality that there was a yesterday and there will be a tomorrow. When in truth, as we create physical reality for our experience here, there is no yesterday and there is no tomorrow. What we do is we pull in information from other uh, allegiances, contacts, sources, parallel lives, parallel universes. We have access to anything that we really want to have access to that's relevant to why we're here. And when we start pulling those, that information in, we start to look at in physical reality is time linear. Oh, I just went to the store. I'm going to have a nap. I'm going to wake up past, present, future. None of those things actually exist. For us to put together physical reality, we are constantly capturing static frames from parallel Reality, parallel dimensions, 
And like a film script, we're throwing them into our consciousness projector. And what we get out of that is what you and I call the world, the earth, physical reality, our life. But it is not something that is happening with a past and a, and a present. I mean, a past and a future. Everything's happening now. We're pulling everything in now. We just experience it as past and as future because that's what we came here to do. And that's, again, one of the few places that you can have that kind of experience and create your own physical reality, which means you're responsible for it. It means you're not a victim. And it means that you, it is highly controllable as long as it stays within the things, the major things that you came down here incarnated to experience. What's our lives going to look like one year from now? Um, are we expecting even bigger changes or have we peaked and uh, we're on the downhill slide? No, I, I think we're very much on an uphill slide. And, and uh, I use those terms uphill and slide because it, it seems to be a rough going. You know, you ever try to pull yourself up a, up a slide, you know, when you were a kid? It was easy going down. Try pulling yourself up one, you know? So that's kind of what it feels like. We're trying, we're trying to climb back up a slide, and but I'm I'm very upbeat about it. And and the reason is is this: you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to experience the things that you're experiencing now. You and I are co-creating this along with everyone else in the collective, the COVID virus thing. Friend. Well, we knew before we came here that this was going to be a major marker in our lives. And that this would have an experience that we could learn things from, be that what you would call a, quote, bad experience or a, quote, good experience. If you want to use those demarcations right there, we knew that coming in. So we're going through exactly what we came in and planned to see and planned to be here to do. Let me jump back a little bit and I'll give you an example of, of why I think things are going swimmingly well. Now, if you wanted to look at the COVID virus situation, isolated, killing people by scores, uh, no matter what anybody is telling you, they don't know yet where this is going. It's all massive speculation. We're talking about 100 to 200,000 deaths in the United States alone that cannot be averted. If you look at this thing through a, a monocle or a telescope, you would see what a horrible situation it is. Well, I have a little different viewpoint. First of all, I'm not particularly concerned about dying. I don't really want to go through the death process, and I hope that when I go to die, it isn't, you know, horribly by cancer and takes six years to, you know, get me buried. But the act of dying doesn't concern me at all. I, I have a real good idea of where I'm going and where I'm going to end up and what I'm going to see when I get there. And, and anything above that's just going to be a surprise, and that'd be great. That'd be fun. But you, you, if you look at it as, as here we are, it's, say it's 2014. Bashar, for instance, comes out and says in 2014, follow 2016. Major problem where you got major changes are going to be happening. Didn't say what. Trump gets elected. 
2020 Bashar comes out and says, get in the eye of the storm. Stay where it's calm. Don't worry about circumstances. Daily being is what matters. Circumstances don't matter. In other words, you live and die is, means nothing. It's all about the experiences. Stay calm. Learn. Those types of things. So we are rapidly moving along a path where all of us who are incarnated in this world that can have access to the kind of information that you and I are so fortunate to have access to are getting everything that we need and are having great learning experiences. As a race, as a, as a, as a, a human race, we have evolved so much just from the last hundred years that everything that seems to be happening may be feeling like we're trying to go up that slide, but we're still going to get up that slide. And I think that the future of the human race, especially when you look at a lot of the special um, kids who are coming along that are being born, that have completely different genetic makeups. But you're looking at a, a, an entirely new race of beings. In fact, they've already nicknamed themselves Homo Galacticus, no longer Homo sapiens. So I think that what we're seeing is the evolution of the race and the individuals and the experiences that we can have and all of these things which appear to be bad things are nothing more than just plain experiences. Forget the good, forget the bad, what we came here for, and the fact that they're happening at such an accelerating rate, I think it just makes for just an absolutely wonderful time to be on Earth. Uh, I couldn't be more excited for myself and for the collective. And I think it's a time that, that, uh, especially young men like you, who are in a perfect position, your age, your interest, Cameron, how you think, where your thoughts are going, how you're learning, you know, there, the only reason I wouldn't want to be your age is because then I wouldn't know as much as I know now. And when you get to my age, you'll tell, you would, if I, if I was alive, you'd tell me things that, that I would never have thought imaginable. You have an, immed, just a, an immaculate opportunity ahead of you. And I feel that's true for everybody, regardless of the circumstances that they are in, whether they're dying of, the, of, of COVID, whether they're having a difficult time in their marriage, whether they're poor, whether they're ill, whether they're wealthy, whether they're elite. This is what we're here for. And we're getting new experiences and new opportunities and new points of view all the time. And uh, I'm grateful for one to be here. And I think we just got a real great ride ahead of us. If you just want to get on, trust yourself. Trust yourself. You didn't put yourself in a position where you couldn't handle any of this. What would be the point? You can handle it. We can all handle it. We'll all get through this. It'll be tough. It's supposed to be. But it'll be the, one of the greatest rides in the universe. I'm certain of that. Absolutely. And I'm hopeful about tomorrow and never before have we needed to realize we are one and never before have we needed to act as one. Thank you so much. To my guest, Walter Rucker. Walter, if our listeners want to reach out to you, where do they find you? 
They find me at Walter at WalterRuckerRuckerR-U-C-K-E-R.com. Drop me an email. I'll be happy to, to converse with you. Uh, I have a lot of information that I'll be happy to share with anybody who wants to uh, to request information on OBE, single mediumship especially. I have a, a ton of information on there. I'll send you those links as well, Cameron. You can either put them up or you can use them for yourself. But uh, I enjoy talking over email with people and getting their experiences, their points of view. It's never a day that I don't have a day full of learning typically coming from somebody else that has a uh, a different look and a different take and a different idea on things. So Walter at WalterRucker.com will get you right to me. And Cameron, thank you so very much for this opportunity. I would love to do it again sometime if, uh, if it comes up in the future. But now I have to ask you a question. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. How very formal of you. Thank you. Uh, you on Facebook, you, you were going on about who your guest is going to be for tomorrow and how wonderful it was. And I got my feelings hurt. But anyway, actually, who actually, are you going to have on tomorrow? You, well, that's a secret. <laughs> and um, you're going to be on. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say it's going to be you tomorrow, but I don't always record these shows in order. So, um you get you get an equal bragging when I uh, the night before that that you come on. So um, <laughs> so don't ever feel like your feelings are hurt because I I promote everybody and honestly I've never had you know with with one exception of one show that I didn't even put on at all. Uh, every one of under every one of these shows that I've done, I've said this so many times, have completely blown my mind. And you know most of the time I'm, I'm once in a while I have somebody sitting here with me and they'll listen to the show or a couple of people here at the table with me, but uh, most of the time it's just me. And um, I just feel like I have this incredible front row seat and I get to listen to all these people. And I'm like, I look around and in my surroundings here, here, and I just think, what, what am I doing? You know, I, I don't know how I got to do this, but I, you know, I decided I want to make it happen. So um, that, well, I'll tell you, that I'll tell you exactly is how what you I did. Go ahead. Well, I'll tell you exactly how you did. You, you got there because it was your, it was your, excitement that drew you to this you were passionate about it you found that when you went to do it synchronicities happened it made you happier uh you didn't have any expectations when you went in so you didn't have anything to weigh on you you met all of the requirements of of how you're supposed to go about navigating physical reality and that's why you're here and that's why this show is going to be a continued success for you and uh, you're going to have a, a a real heck of a fun time with it well hopefully we can just keep doing it over and over and over again i thank you very much um definitely you know certainly it's hard times we're going through but i truly believe that uh it's one of the most amazing times that we'll ever go through and um after we overcome the initial fears and shocks and of course there's a, a lot of uh, road bumps ahead of us and and once we mm. overcome that i just can't even imagine what a, what a better place and a better people we will be. So amazing times ahead. And one more time, I just want to say Walter Rucker, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Cameron Brown. And you take care of yourself. My 
You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. 